What if you encountered someone who had never heard the word gospel before? And not only had never heard the word gospel, but the only time they heard the word Jesus or God was pretty much in the context of cussing, maybe even aimed toward them. And this person didn't necessarily have any big problem with Jesus or the concept of God, but didn't really see the big deal of it either. Didn't really see, how's, how's this supposed to apply in, in my life? What's that mean to me? I know to some people it, it has a lot of meaning, but I, I just don't quite get it. Well, you might find it hard to believe that there would be some in, in the Bible Belt who, who are in that boat. The passage that we are looking at today, Peter is talking directly to a group of people that would fall into that category, that didn't understand about gospel, didn't quite get it in terms of what Jesus had done, and he's going to be addressing that. But even beyond that, I am conscious that some of you fall into that category. And as I described that person, he said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. That's kind of how I grew up. And, well, I've heard gospel. But if I were pressed, if, if you said, stand up and explain to these people here what the gospel is, I couldn't begin to do it. I want to say to you, first of all, I'm glad you're here. You are welcome at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And not only that, God has seen fit to, for whatever reason, bring you here today when we are going to hone in, as we do many weeks, but even more so because of the message that Peter was preaching, we are going to hone in on the very core of the gospel and what it means and why it is so essential in our lives. I want you to, all of you, to, as I read this passage beginning with the 34th verse, I want you to see if you can pick out those essential aspects of the gospel. What is it that would need to be explained if you were asked that question? What what is the gospel? Beginning with verse 
34 of Acts 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That's going back to last week where he finally came around to understand that this was not just something for the Jews, for the religious people of the day, but this was a truth for the Gentiles as well and for all people. Verse 35. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, listen to what happened at that point. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you open our hearts and our minds to those things that, that Peter spoke of, that to some in this room are brand new, that to some in this room have grasped this, and love these truths. And to some who have believed but have grown cold toward these truths. Who have taken them for granted. May that not be us, Lord. And so will you teach your word to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Before we get to the core of the gospel, look first at the nature of the gospel itself. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Notice the phrase. Good news of peace. That good news, that's actually uh, one word that is emphasizing uh, that that which is spoken here is the best thing that can be told to people. It's where we get the word evangelize. Now, I know, I know that the word evangelize is intimidating for some of us. Oh, I'm not an evangelist. I couldn't do that, and so on. That's why I like the phrase and the the translation, the good news. Because there's not a person in this room that has any trouble sharing good news with other people around them. When you get good news, what do you want to do with it? You want to tell somebody. And some of you just can't wait to tell good news to other people. And that's what the gospel is. It's that which, if you are in Christ, it's that which has changed your eternity. And that's why it's good news. That's why it's spoken of in this way. Now, of what? Well, he talks about good news of peace. Preaching the good news of peace. Now, here we're talking about reconciliation with God and with one another. Remember last week we talked about how Jews and Gentiles, uh, they hated each other, especially the Jews hating the Gentiles. They considered them to be dogs. They wouldn't have had them in their homes. And yet, because of the gospel, here's what it says over in Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's a radical application of the gospel right there. And Peter basically had said, I get it. I didn't get it before, but I I get it. Now, he's about to see an illustration and even ratchet up how much he got it when he sees the Holy Spirit poured out on the Gentiles because they never would have predicted that. But he says, I now understand that there's no partiality with God. Why did he now understand that? Because he understood in a deeper way what the cross had done. And that what Jesus did on the cross was not just for a a certain race of people or those who in this case had been circumcised as they saw as the sign that, that made them special. And so 
it's considered now the good news, the good news of peace. Now let's look at the core of the gospel. What are uh, the, the most essential uh, things? We have just today finished up an inquirer's class. In the inquirer's class, when I talk about our doctrines, I say this. We believe in majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. In the essentials, there must be unity. In the non-essentials, there must be freedom. Now, what I'm about to share with you, what Peter told them on that day are the essentials, the things that one must believe if they are to believe the gospel, if they are to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Here are the essentials. The first, the very first one is the person of Christ. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now that's always been the focus. It always will be the focus. The person of Christ, when people go astray outside of uh, true Christianity, when cults form, Typically, where they will vary, where they will change, will be the doctrines of who Christ is. That's where they attack. That's where they will warp beliefs. And the reason is because he is absolutely at the core. Christianity is not just a bunch of beliefs. It's the person of Christ. That's where it begins. And then there are doctrines, there are beliefs. We have, uh, right before Christmas, if you watched uh, the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, you could see all kinds of shows that talked about who is the real Jesus or in search of the real Jesus, those kinds of, of statements. And they will, they will go into things like, well, you know, Jesus was married, or uh, Jesus had this or that orientation. Why? Well, if you look at those that they're interviewing there, you will see historians, you will see Theologians, I'm doing air quotes, you know, theologians. And the reason, the reason I, I say it that way is because these theologues, many of them are starting from the belief that who we would say Jesus is, the living God fully God and fully man. They start from the position of not believing that. 
And so everything that they see in the Bible, they've got to explain through that lens. Now, there was a lot of those before Christmas. They will crop up again. I I don't see many of them on right now. They'll crop up again before Easter. I promise you, every year that happens. Don't fall for that. Jesus is at the very core. And attacking the person of Jesus is attacking the core of Christianity. By the way, why would they bother to do that? Because if they prove that he was not who he said he was, then they don't have to uh, respond to the claims that he made and they don't have to respond in faith for salvation. They can pick and choose. If he was wrong about who he said he was, then certainly he's wrong in other areas. And they tried to reduce him to something of a good man or a good example and that kind of a thing. Which, by the way, if he was wrong about all those things, he wasn't a good man or a good example. He wasn't either of those. Peter began with the person of Christ, then he moved quickly in virtually the same phrase to the lordship of Christ. Jesus, through Jesus, verse 36, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Now, he doesn't stop with proclaiming Jesus as uh, Savior, which is a trend in our day. This whole idea that, well, I've accepted him as Savior, but I don't, he's not, he's not the Lord. I might get to that point at, at some later point where I accept him as Lord. The Scripture doesn't make that kind of a division, as you can see. To say that he's your Savior, but not your Lord, so I can do what I want, I can I don't have to respond, I don't have to, to obey him or anything, is basically to say, okay, well, yeah, I, I believe that he, he died on the cross for my sin, but he doesn't have any right to tell me how I ought to live. You see how strange that sounds when you actually say it out loud? Yeah, he died for me, but he's got no claim on my life. Someone dies for you. Yes, they do. Let me tell you how beginning to understand lordship affected my life. I've told some of you this before. When I was a teenager, if you'd said, what are you going to be when you grow up? I would have said, well, I, I want to be either a sportscaster or a forest ranger. Now, the reason I wanted to be one of those two things, sportscasters never have to wear ties, basically, and they can sleep late and they can watch all the games for free, okay? It makes sense, doesn't it, huh? And if you say, well, why do you want to be a forest ranger? Well, because you don't have to be around people. I can be out there all by myself. And I, I, I was a believer, but had never really grasped the whole idea of 
what lordship meant in my life. And I remember specifically the, the sermon where my pastor preached from Philippians 2, and he kept saying this phrase, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Now that sounds maybe cliche-ish, but God used that to pierce my heart. And at the end of the message, the pastor stood up front and he said, I want to challenge you to think through your life and ask yourselves what part of your life are, have you been unwilling to, to give to the Lord and acknowledge that he is Lord. Not make him Lord, but acknowledge that he is Lord. And he said specifically, you young people, have you given him your future? And I thought, well, you know what? I never deliberately didn't, but I've never really prayed about my future. I want to be a sportscaster or forestry, you know, and all that. And so, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I raised my hand that day that I wanted to give him my future. And that's when God began to call me into the ministry. Now, there's a you know, there's a, a longer story that goes from then on till I, I knew it was the ministry. But, and, and so here I am wanting to be someplace where you never have to wear a tie or be around people. <laughs> and you know what? I wouldn't be anywhere else. I would have been a lousy sportscaster, even though I, I would have loved the sports. And I would have been a, a crummy forest ranger because I get poison ivy by just walking by it and, and I couldn't be out there by myself. I would have gone crazy. And I didn't even know that about myself but God knew it. And his lordship prevailed. And, but here's the thing because some of you say, well, that does it. I I'm not giving him my future if you end up being a pastor over that. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Most of you he won't call to be pastors. But if he calls you to be something that you can't even imagine at this moment, like that would have been the case if somebody had gone, sat down next to me that day and said, uh, he's going to call you to be a pastor. I just, you know, yeah, right. But I can't imagine that there was anything else for me. But he knew better. And so he will, he will give you the heart for that which he calls you to. He won't, he won't drag you uh, kicking and screaming. He is Lord of all. So he's Savior and Lord. That's a key. Put those together. Third aspect of the message is the life of Christ. Verse 37 you yourselves know what happened through all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Why do you think he mentions the baptism? Each of the gospels begins in a different way. Some with the birth, some with a, a you know, John with a, a theological discourse going way back be, before uh, creation. Two of them with the birth. 
one with John the Baptist, but all of them talk about his baptism. Why is that important? Well, was it just to relate to people? No. That he was baptized, we're baptized, that kind of a thing is way beyond that. It was at his baptism that the Father said who he was. That the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove came down upon him. That the person of Christ was explained in the first form. That's who he is. And then it talks about his life, his miracles and so on, and his perfect obedience. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live but couldn't and didn't because we sinned so that he could then die the death on the cross that we deserved. And because of his grace, we didn't have to go to the cross. That brings us to the fourth aspect of the gospel, and that is the cross. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This is the centerpiece of, of the work of Jesus. Let me give you two quotes. David Watson said, God's love was most perfectly portrayed through the supreme suffering of Jesus on the cross. Even when everything seems dark, painful, desperate, and hopeless, God still lo loves, is still there, and will never fail us. The cross is the ultimate proof of that. And then Oswald Chambers, some of you read his devotional. The death of Jesus goes way down underneath the deepest, vilest sin that human nature ever committed. Every pious mood must be stripped off when we stand before the cross. Without the cross, there is no gospel. Without the cross, there is no good news. But because of the cross, then he takes us to the, the next step, and that is the resurrection. And in the outline, I put the historical resurrection. This was not some memory that arose every time we think of him, he's alive, or something like that. Listen to what uh, the Scripture says, verse 40. God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Here's the point, and here's why it is uh, so explicit here. He left no doubt to them that he actually got up out of the grave and walked around and had a body. We ate with him. He wasn't some kind of a ghost. He isn't some kind of a memory. We were with him. And then the uniqueness of Christ. Verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now, there's something noticeably missing in, 
in, in Peter's message here. You know what's missing? Other ways of salvation. <laughs> he doesn't say, look, here's, here's one way. You got your Jesus, but some of you are good enough where you just work a little bit harder and you'll be just fine. He is the one. This is the same message we saw earlier in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the same message that Jesus gave in John 14.6. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And some would say, that's a harsh message. You saying, he's the only way to heaven. Well, it is only harsh if it's not true. But if it's true, it is the most loving message you can possibly give to someone else. That he is the way. He is the one. And then it talks about Christ as the judge. Now think about that in terms of whether this message is harsh or not. He's just said he's the one that went to the cross. And then it proclaims that he is the judge. Would you feel better if you were going in to a court and you knew that the judge said, I am paying for what you did? That's what it's saying for the believer. So it becomes either a fearsome thing for those that aren't related to Christ, for those who would reject Christ and say, you're not the only way, you're not the way for me. They don't want to face him as a judge. But for those who, who trust in Christ alone for eternal life, that's why it's the good news of peace. It's such good news. The good news is not go try harder. The good news is come to Jesus and there's peace. And that's where we see the results of the gospel. Verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Believing. See, again, it's not work harder, get better, and then come back and you can be related to God. It's believe. Now, what about this belief? It's not enough just to say, okay, well, now that you've explained the gospel, I think all those things could have happened. I guess I'm a Christian. See, it's a different kind of belief. It's not just saying in your head those things happen. You know what? Satan knows those things happened. <laughs> He's not going to be in heaven. 
James says you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So that's not enough. It's not a, enough just to have it in your head. It's, it's the diving board, okay? You know, here we look at the diving board and somebody says, it's okay if you've ever gone off a... By the way, diving boards are things they used to have in pools where you could go out and you jump and then you, you go in. Liability doesn't let most of us have those anymore. But it's, it's somebody saying, look, it's okay. You go out there and bounce a little bit and then jump in or dive in. But there's concrete down there. Oh, look, here's why it's okay. Even though it's very clear, there's eight feet of water between you and the concrete. And you say, okay, well, that's good. I think I'll sit in my lounge chair. See, that's in your head saying, that's nice. There's eight feet of water. You know what believing is? Going out on the diving board, jumping in. For some of you, that's, that's, that's where you are. You're on the diving board. Will you, will you jump in? Will you believe that there is that which will save you from eternal hell and condemnation, eternal separation from God? There is a glorious promise here. But just knowing it in your head is not enough. It's trusting. And then here's the results. The forgiveness of sins. You have any sins you'd like forgiven? Well, if you say, no, no, I'm, I'm good there, you don't really know yourself. You're out of touch with your life. We all have sin we need forgiven. Every one of us. And this is our only hope. Now in about one minute, I want to give you a postscript of what happened here. And it's not insignificant. Verse 46, For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. In previous sermons, We've dealt with the issues of speaking in tongues. You can go back and listen to those and so on. The bottom line is it is not necessary for us today. It was attesting to new revelation that, that was coming, and it was God pouring out his Spirit in that day and giving a visible attestation to this, uh, these new things that were being revealed. But what's significant here is we had Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where he pours out his spirit. He'd already said, go, go out to the world and I'll be with you and I, I will empower you. And here we have another mini Pentecost to a new group of people, to the ones that the Jews hated until then. Not that some of it might not have carried over. But what they were amazed by is they said, look, look, the Spirit's being poured out on them just like it was on us. 
and it showed them that they were all now brothers and sisters in Christ. They were all a part of the same family. There is no partiality with God. And then the result was extolling God, praising Him. And that's the only proper response. You see, if you say, well, I like what I'm hearing. I'm just going to have to work harder and be, be uh, better for God. It's about praise of him, thanksgiving. Will it change things? Yes, it will. It should. It must. But the difference is it's not to work our way to him. It's to praise him and thank him for the things that he has done. It's about praise. Let's bow together. How clear, Lord, you spoke through Peter in that day. How clear your word is. If it's been one bit muddied up here today, Lord, will you clear that up as well? Because we know it's only when you speak to our hearts that we hear. But Lord, for those who have walked out on the diving board, help them trust that you are that great salvation and Lord. You are that hole in their heart. You are the answer to that fear. You're the answer to that anxiety. Will you show us that, Lord? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.